back to another episode of the Brawn Body Health and Fitness Podcast. I'm so glad that you're joining us again today. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Elizabeth Schultz to be discussing the vagus nerve, including the anatomy and functions of the vagus nerve, the polyvagal theory, and so much more, including chronic stress implications, exercises to help improve your vagus nerve health, and so much more. Liz has presented research at the Mid-Atlantic Regional Chapter for the American College of Sports Medicine Conference, as well as presenting directly in the United States Congress in Washington, D.C. She received her Bachelor's of Science in Exercise Science at Westchester University in May of 2019. Liz later went on to receive her Doctorate in Physical Therapy at Lebanon Valley College in May of 2022. Liz believes in a holistic approach to rehab and incorporates all aspects of health into her overall patient plan of care. For more on Liz, you can find her on Instagram at Lizzie with a extra Y at the end. So that's L-I-Z-A-Y-Y-1010. Before we get to this episode, here's a quick word from one of our sponsors. Dr. Schultz, welcome to the podcast. Really excited to have you on tonight. <laughs> Hello, thank you so much for having me. So for people who aren't familiar with you, Liz, and who you are and that sort of thing, could you share a little bit about your backstory and who you are and what you've done? Yeah, of course. So I got my undergrad degree at Westchester University in exercise science, and then I went to Lebanon Valley um, and got my doctorate in physical therapy. I had a lot of different outpatient clinicals one specifically with uh, Dr. Ariane Missimer, who has her own private outpatient clinic where she incorporates a lot of the holistic approach to rehab. So I learned a lot about that. And uh, I learned a lot about the vagus nerve from her, which we'll talk about today. And now I have a job lined up at Phoenix Physical Therapy in Douglasville. So I'm excited to soon get started on that. So for people in central Pennsylvania, you're saying that they should definitely come see you when you start up here. <laughs> yep, definitely. Douglasville, got it. Now, as you were going through uh, school, you were doing and you published a little bit of research or presented some research as well too, correct? Yes, and I presented at the Mark ACSM as well. So you're not just someone who, you know, goes through school and, you know, gets a degree or something like that. You're someone who's shown that you're committed to learning more by going out of your way to research things that we didn't know in the past and find out answers to them. And you've also had the benefit of learning from one of the, I'll say one of the top PTs in the country. Uh, Ariane has been, I've probably butchered her name there, but she's been on what, CBS, ABC, like all oh, the yeah. you name it. She's news been on networks it. and all that sort of thing. And you know, it's pretty rare that you find someone like that these days, it seems. Yes. Very thankful for her. She's taught me a lot, for sure. So tell me a little bit about your time with her and just overall the holistic approach to physical therapy. Yeah. So actually, when I was in Westchester is where I met her because she holds events called the Movement Paradigm, um, where you can go to these events and learn about nutrition, different mindsets, movement, all sorts of things. And um, that's what her 
clinic, the movement paradigm incorporates. So she doesn't only have physical therapy there. She has strength and conditioning. She has some um, therapy like massage therapy um, and all that jazz. And she actually just became a functional medicine practitioner. So she incorporates that a lot with her clients. And um, her main thing is incorporating mindset, nutrition, and movement with every patient. Because as we know, it all is incorporated into your healing process and uh, becoming the best version of yourself. So I definitely learned more of the how the mindset and the nutrition play a part as with the physical therapy. Yeah, that's amazing stuff. And I think that speaks volumes to the fact that I'll say in school, they typically tell you that, you know, you can pinpoint the cause of a problem, right? You know, if someone's yeah. got shoulder impingement, well, you know, it's because they have a weak rotator cuff and weak scapular stabilizers, right? Yeah. When in reality, it's not clear cut and dry like that. Yeah. I'm willing to bet that at least 90% of the time, you don't actually know what caused someone's problem because there's yeah. so many things that contribute to it, Right. And it could be a nerve injury. It could be muscle weakness. The Mm -hmm. the list goes on and on and on. So it's essential, in my opinion, to look at the root cause of things, but also look at the whole picture, right? So not just settle for, you know, here's how they're moving. Here's how their strength is. But ask the questions like, you know, how did you sleep last night? How have you been sleeping? Yeah. Is it the, you know, is it the shoulder? Is it the hip? Whatever they came in Uh, to see you for is that what's causing those issues or are those issues caused by something else and one of the things that comes to mind for me about those kind of issues is this little nerve that well not so little nerve I'll say (laughs) called the vagus nerve and the reason for that is it's literally like connected to like practically everything from what I know right so you're more well-versed in this topic than I am. (laughs) So could you just kind of go over what the heck this vagus nerve is for people who aren't familiar with it or who are hearing for it for the first time now? Yeah, of course. So it's our longest cranial nerve and it's actually a pair of nerves. So you have your uh, dorsal vagal and your ventral vagal and it's going to originate from the brainstem and it innervates muscles of the eyes, nose, throat, ear, lungs, heart, digestive tract, you name it. And it's 80% of our parasympathetic nervous system. So that's why it's really important to know how to hack into it. Um, Cause as we know, the parasympathetic nervous system is more of that rest and digest state. The polyvagal theory, which was developed by Dr. Stephen Porges there's actually three different states in our nervous system, which we mainly know our fight and flight state, so our sympathetic, and then our more of our rest and digest, which is also known as like our social engagement stage. And that's what the ventral vagus nerve. Um, but there's actually a third state called, called our freeze state, and that's the dorsal vagal. So with these, um, the freeze state is more when you're feeling hopeless, People can be depressed. That's when you shut down, things like that. With the fight or flight, as we know, that's when you can feel anxious, worried, anger. That's more of our stress state. And then our social engagement state, which is the state we want to be in, is where you feel mindful and connected and grounded and joyful. So with these three, a way that you can kind of start to control 
your nervous system and take charge of it is um, to name each of these states. So name them in a way that makes sense to you. So to give you an example, with the free state, I like to call that like my overwhelmed state. Then with the fight or flight state, I like to say that's my stress state. And then with the social engagement, I like to call that my present or connected state. So name each one of those. The next what you can do is write down the triggers that put you into that fight or flight or freeze state. So once again, to give you an example, for my fight or flight, maybe that's when the house is a mess or I have a test coming up, that's when I start to feel kind of stressed. With my freeze state, that might be when I have a ton of stuff to do or I feel like the weight of the world is coming down on me, I start to get really overwhelmed. So write down those triggers of what force you into those states. The next way you can do for the social engagement state is write down those things that bring you back to that joyful state. So for me, that's like dancing in the kitchen or hanging out with my friends or a 60 second hug, you know, any of those things <laughs> so that you can build your own personal tools of how to pull you out when you're feeling stressed or overwhelmed, whichever, whatever you make the word for those states so that you can continue to be in that relaxed state and that parasympathetic state. Gotcha. So backtracking a little bit here, do both the dorsal and ventral branches, dorsal, uh, for those who don't know, also means posterior and ventral mm -hmm. also means anterior. So one is in front and one is behind. Uh, uh, do those branches both go to all the various organs in the thoracic, like, and abdominal cavities, I'll say, like the heart, the lungs, all that sort of thing? Are both of those branches going to all those organs, or is it just one? Yeah, so it's both. So it's like the vagus nerve, it's split up into those two, but they both innervate the same things. Okay, and they're literally hitting, like we mentioned before, everything from the heart and lung. Mm -hmm down to the gut and your other abdominal organs, liver, spleen, pancreas, kidney, you name it. Um, yep. So it's interesting how this one nerve literally connects everything together. Now, yeah. I like that you brought up the polyventral theory, and I'm someone who's not overly familiar with the three uh, levels, like you mentioned. I'm mostly familiar with fight or flight, right? I think that's mm -hmm. what everyone's heard of before like you know you're stressed and yeah. it seems to me like the fight or flight mode is almost like the kind of in between or your balance between that freeze point that you mentioned mm -hmm. and the social engagement point and it's almost like a spot of like I'll say internal conflict between your dorsal branch and your ventral branch if that makes sense yeah interesting yeah. So you mentioned different things people can do to help find like triggers that put mm -hmm. them in one state over another. Um, going along with that further, do you suggest people look into like a mindfulness practice to do that or journaling or seek professional help? How can people help themselves to figure out where they're at and what their causes of different states throughout the day is, I'll say? Yes, yeah, so that's a great question. I would say all of the above, but definitely, like I said, journaling. So um, 
when you're feeling anxious or stressed or whatever, kind of just taking a step back and identifying that emotion with the words. So I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling stressed. I'm feeling overwhelmed. So like I said, kind of name, put a name to that state and then figure out what are the triggers? Why are you feeling that way? And then what can you do about it? So if you write down journaling, like a name for each of the states, the triggers that put you in those states, and then the things that help you bring you back into that social engagement state, write it all down. So when you're feeling a certain way like that, you can kind of look back and be like, okay, this is what I'm feeling. What do I do about it? And that can help regulate your nervous system so that you have control over it. And I would imagine a big piece of that is focusing on the things that you can control, right? Yes. So if you're driving to work and every time you drive to work, you get super stressed and pissed off or whatever, because, you know, you're going through the traffic and someone else has road rage and they're blaring on the horn or you're five minutes late or whatever it is, then you have to look at it and focus on the things that are within your own control, right? Mm -hmm. You leave five minutes earlier. You can't control the other motorists, though. You know, you can't yeah. by blaring on his horn. You can't control someone cutting you off in traffic. So you have to kind of keep things within your own realm, I'll say, and not focus on the things that you cannot have an impact on. Yes, definitely. Um, so, and a cool way to evaluate if you're in that high vagal tone or if you have low vagal tone. It's called the uvula test, and this is specifically in the pharyngeal branch of the ventral vagus. Um, and this is from Stanley Rosenberg. But either you can do this to yourself, or if you're a PT or clinician, you can evaluate this on your patient. So you'll do is you'll have them open their mouth and you can shine a flashlight back there. And then um, look at the uvula, so the little thing hanging in the back of your throat, because that is stimulated by the vagus nerve. And you're going to make a ah, ah, ah sound. And when you do that, you're going to watch the uvula. If it raises in a symmetrical way, then you have high vagal tone. But if it deviates to one side, then you have low vagal tone in that right now, which you can change. Um, but that just gives you an idea of if you are in that social engagement stage or if you might be in that fight or flight or freeze state. And what do you commonly see with people and patients and that sort of thing? Do you think most people have a very high vagal tone or a low vagal tone? Definitely say low vagal tone, because as we know, we're mainly in a stress state because it's a stressful world. And a, a lot of people don't know the tools that they can have in order to get them back to a more relaxed state. You mean to tell me that living in America in 2022 is stressful? Really? I know, right? Isn't that crazy? Who would have thought? Oh, my. So if people aren't able to do the uvula test, so say I'm at home and, you know, I'm looking in the mirror, but I can't really figure out, you know, what my uvula is or how it's moving or whatever it is that way. What else could people use to help them determine if they have issues with their sympathetic, parasympathetic balance or tone of the vagus nerve, I'll say. I'd say just um, identifying how you're feeling in that moment. And uh, you can also 
look at your gut. Are you feeling more bloated? Are you constipated? Are you feeling kind of crappy in that way? Well, that just took a crappy turn. Wow. <laughs> I, I think the gut health is key. And I think there's so many other like things that go along with a stressed state, right? So mm -hmm. when I think back to what we were talking about before, the polyvagal theory, if mm -hmm. you're in that state of social engagement, so that would be the ventral side of the vagus nerve that's mm -hmm. acting there. If you're in that happy-go-lucky state, for lack of a better way to put it, then I picture that being, you know, your... Um, I'll, I'll speak in terms of ancestrally because that's how I think about it. I picture that being, you know, you're at your camp or home or wherever, you're comfortable, you're content, you're well-fed, you have nothing to worry about. Mm -hmm. Then when we get into that fight or flight mode, that starts to be more of a survival pattern, I think. So in my mind, that's where I think of we are currently running away from a saber-toothed tiger what's yeah. going to happen. Your heart rate is going to increase. Your blood mm -hmm. vessels are going to uh, dilate to allow for more blood to flow through your body. Or yeah. I might have that backwards. It might be constrict in the peripheral and dilate in the abdominal. But mm -hmm. either way, your blood vessels are going to change. Yeah. Uh, your heart rate's going to increase. Your eyes are going to widen because you just saw something scary. And the more light you can let in, the better you're going to be able to see as you're running away from the saber-toothed tiger and so on. It's a survival mm -hmm. pattern. It's something that I think, and I'm no expert on this, but I think it possibly might have evolved uh, in our species over time to help keep us alive from things yeah. like saber-toothed tigers that could kill us. And then you go one tier up to the freeze, which is that full dorsal tone. So that's the moment that you initially see that saber-toothed tiger. That's the moment mm -hmm. when you just kind of freeze and think, oh my gosh, what do I do now? Right. Yeah. That's when you feel helpless. That's when you stop and don't do anything. And yeah. I think when you think about those three situations, it kind of make the effects make a little bit more sense to me anyways. Right. So if I'm in a state of fight or flight uh, mode, then my uh, gut motility, my GI motility is probably going to slow down because the last mm -hmm. thing I want when I'm running away from a saber-toothed tiger is to have to stop and find the porta john right? Yeah. Well, if I'm at home resting comfortably, I just ate and I'm chilling on the couch, guess what? You know, if I've got to go to the bathroom, that's probably a good time to do so. <laughs> that's a that's a great point. And even just to clock in, seeing how is your heart beating fast? Are you feeling hungry? Are you feeling full? Just kind of being able to tap in and at certain points during the day, which we like to call like interoception, knowing how you're feeling, what's going on in your body, being able to be in tune with your body, which is a great thing to practice and get the hang of because if you can start being in tune with your body, then you can better help yourself and regulate your nervous system. Right, right. And if you're in tune with your body, you'll know when things are going good and going well. Yeah. You'll also know when things are not going well. And when they're mm -hmm. not going well, you're probably able to seek out another opinion faster, which means you'll be back to doing the things that you want to do quicker, which yeah. is obviously a good goal for everyone. You know, no one likes being on the sidelines for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. 
before I went on my little rant about the saber-toothed tiger, though, you mentioned <laughs> gut health. Yeah. And people, when when I think of the get the um, the vagus nerve, anyways, I think gut health is one of the most important connections because one, the gut is huge. Like you can literally jump rope with your intestines. I mean, we yeah. pull them out in our cadaver dissection. And what are they like 20 feet long? You got 20 feet of intestines, like yeah. it is wicked wild how much there is. And the fact that there is literally a nerve that runs from your brain to your gut and it's all over the place there. And it's also connected to your heart. It's connected to your liver, that sort of thing. Like there is literally a direct connection from your gut to your brain. So people talk yeah. about, you know, gut oh, instinct yeah. and thinking with their gut. And that's kind of where it comes from in my mind anyways. Mm -hmm. That's right, the connection. But I'm curious, what the heck does the vagus nerve have to do with gut health or vice versa? What does the gut health have to do with the vagus nerve and that kind of gut-brain connection that I mentioned? Yeah, of course. And real quick, just so people know, your gut is 70% of your immune system. So it's very important. Um, and when you have low vagal tone, that's when you can have things like leaky gut, irritable bowel syndrome, SIBO, so small intestine, bacterial overgrowth, all of that not fun jazz. So what is, uh, what is leaky gut for people who don't know what it is? So you have these um, connections in your epithelium in your gut, and they can start to kind of separate, which will let the toxins, bacteria, and things go pass through your gut into your bloodstream and that can cause that will trigger the immune response and cause a lot of inflammation in the body so basically your body's not absorbing things well and it's leak and so it's called leaky gut things are leaking between the epithelium into your bloodstream causing a lot of inflammation so instead of going through a filter like your liver first yeah. stuff goes right from your gut into your blood without yeah. getting filtered first yeah. So um, not fun. So can I sign up for that? Yeah. Um, but basically, the vagus nerve does a lot of things. Basically, making sure it's you're breaking down food properly and absorbing it properly. So it helps to upregulate the breakdown of your solid foods, stimulates the re release of those digestive enzymes and bile. The secretion of saliva, which we know is like the first step in the digestive process. So all of those things help break down the food. And then it will decrease the inflammation and the intestinal permeability. So decrease the chance of, you know, those connections decreasing and letting the toxins and bacteria get into your bloodstream. And it slows gastric emptying. So making sure it doesn't go too fast through your digestive process, you're not able to absorb what you need to absorb and properly break it down. It coordinates motility in the intestines. So making sure you're getting that wave-like motion in the large intestine going to the rectum so that you can excrete properly. So it's very huge. Um, a good thing to do, which I like to do before you eat is just take like five diaphragmatic breaths, because as we know, diaphragmatic breathing is going to stimulate the vagus nerve. So just taking those couple deep diaphragmatic breaths will help you increase your vagal tone so that you can make sure that you're properly breaking down and absorbing your food.
Right. And there's a lot I want to go through about this topic. First, you mentioned about the importance of secretion of saliva and different enzymes and that sort of thing to break down the food that you're eating. And I Mm -hmm. think a lot of people forget that the whole digestive process, as glorious and glamorous as it is, Mm -hmm. literally starts at the mouth. Yeah. So if you are not chewing your food enough and you're not letting your body take the time it needs to secrete saliva to start breaking food down, then you're putting yourself behind from the start. And that alone can set you up for further stomach and gut issues and upset and that sort of thing. And the reason I bring this up is because I think gut health is a very overlooked area of health and medicine in general. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people I know think that things like bloating and farting and all that sort of thing is normal and acceptable and just a way of life. And, you know, believe it or not, you're not supposed to have farts that can clear a room. Like that's normal. That's Um, And oddly enough, we talked earlier about how the vagus nerve literally connects like literally everything. Uh, It also plays a role in swallowing function and throat sensation mm-hmm. naturally this thing hits all ends of digestion from the start to the finish yeah and i think it's important to bring that up first um mm-hmm. second just kind of following the pathway down here right so now we go into the stomach and we go into the intestines and that sort of thing uh that vagal activation i'll say so firing of a nerve pathway sending sending a nerve conduction down a nerve, uh, Mm -hmm. for lack of a better way to put it, that's going to, you said, stimulate release of digestive enzymes and bile in the stomach and intestines and liver and Mm -hmm. all that, again, all that beautiful stuff. um, And it's going to slow gastric emptying, which is going to give you more time to break it down. That all seems like good things. And then you mentioned the role of inflammation. And inflammation is one of those, I want, I want to call it like a hot topic or buzzword right now. Like yeah. constantly being told like, oh, well, you know, it's an inflammatory process, you know, mm-hmm. take an anti-inflammatory for it. But <laughs> I don't think people fully understand what is meant by inflammation. And I think that inflammation gets a lot more confusing when you tell people that it's part of the healing process because mm-hmm. they go, okay, well, what am I healing from? So kind of in your terms, I'll say, how would you say that inflammation or inflammatory role within the gut comes into play here? And what role is that playing in poor gut health versus good gut health? Yeah, so like I said, um, your digestive system is 70% of your immune system. So if you're not taking care of that, your immune system is going to be down. It could trigger a lot of inflammation in your body. Like I said, the intestinal permeability. So increasing the gap between those epithelial connections, which can lead to toxins and bad things going into your body. And when you have chronic inflammation, which we know like acute inflammation, let's say you get a knee injury or something like that. Acute inflammation isn't bad. So as we know, you don't want to take those NSAIDs. You don't want to put the ice on it. Let, kind of let your body do what it needs to do. But when it becomes chronic, that's when it can become an issue. It can cause a whole host of things such as joint pain, bloating, brain fog, 
all that jazz, like we know, because of the gut-brain connection. And that's another interesting thing to talk about that when you're feeling depressed and anxious and all that, which we know is the different states that you can be in, that also can be coming from your gut health. So due to that gut-brain connection. So if you're feeling depressed and anxious a lot, I think tapping into your vagus nerve is important as well as your gut health to, if you're eating the right things, taking the time to eat properly, um, it can all contribute to taking away that depression and anxiety and all those awful feelings that you have. Right. And they've done studies in people that look at, you know, things like mental health and mood and that sort of thing and overall gut health and different gut mm-hmm. biomarkers. Or um, there's this other kind of trendy thing right now. I think it's disgusting, um, but it's called a fecal transplant where they literally take one person's crap and put it into someone else. Like it to me, uh. it's disgusting. <laughs> but um, I've worked with people who have studied it and you know, that sort of thing in the past. We had Dr. Dan Clark, the microbiologist on a a little while ago, and he has, you know, looked into it a little bit more than I have. And he's kind of taught me a bit about it. And it's crazy how, you know, the bacteria from one person's gut can make a beneficial impact on another person's mood. So there's Mm -hmm. clearly some kind of connection between the bacteria in your gut and how you feel and how you're doing overall. Mm-hmm. Um, there's more bacteria in your gut cell-wise than you have cells in your entire body. So yeah. in a way, you as a person are actually all the things that are living inside you. And that sounds really weird to say, but <laughs> kind of how it is. And I think the biggest thing too, with the gut health and inflammation standpoint, if you start to notice any of the signs that you outlined earlier, then something is amiss. Maybe it's something in your life. Maybe it's something in your diet. Maybe it's something in how you're eating your food, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe you're chewing and talking at the same time, and that's allowing a lot more air to get into your gut than normal, right? Yeah. There's a lot of different things, and it's hard to pinpoint that one root cause of everything without looking at the whole picture. Yeah. Uh, but in general, it's important to keep all those things in mind. One, And two, if you start to notice those things, understand that inflammatory process. So I'm feeling these things because I have junctions in my intestines and gut lining that should be tight, tightly bound, Mm -hmm. but instead they're actually gapped right now. And stuff is going from my gut into my body. And my body is responding by increasing tissue temperature, increasing blood flow to that area and increasing flow of white blood cells to that area because whatever got out of your gut lining is in a place that it should not be and your body's going to react accordingly to get it either back to where it should be or wipe it out and destroy it and then clear it out because you know naturally we don't want things where they should not be Uh, and that whole process unfortunately is going to add wear and tear to your body so that's Mm -hmm. where things that you mentioned like brain fog or fatigue or malaise Mm -hmm. or just not feeling well or bloating or being gassy that's where all those things come into play is basically that's your body's way of saying something that we just did is not right and this is how we're going to let you know that it's not right it's kind of like your internal problem sensor if that's the thing yeah 
and like we know there's a lot of stress in this world and chronic stress can slowly kill you so it's definitely good to which we'll go over soon some of these vagus nerve exercises you can do to keep you into that social engagement um, decrease the stress in your life so yeah, that what can, you what can people do so you yeah. just mentioned the great point the world is freaking stressful um mm -hmm. i mean at the time we're recording this gasoline prices just hit 470 a gallon where i'm at yeah and when you're about to be graduating from college after six yeah. months, <laughs> seeing gas prices go right up might add a little bit of stress to the you. housing market <laughs> at least from a financial standpoint so yeah. what should people be doing to help reduce their stress level and help to optimize their own internal environment i'll say from a neural standpoint yeah so great question there's tons of vagus nerve hacks if you will or exercises which we can link at them but uh dr aaron missimer has tons of youtube videos of all of these things um some simple ways since the vagus nerve goes through your diaphragm doing diaphragmatic breathing throughout the day um, humming, since it innervates the muscles of your throat, so you can just hum and sing, laugh, things like that during your day. Even just splashing some cold water on your face helps to stimulate the vagus nerve. Um, and then one of my favorites is called the salamander. But once again, you can check out a lot of these videos and pick which ones are kind of your favorite. Um, but for the salamander, what you do is you interlace your fingers, put them behind your head, um, just like at the base of your skull. And what that's going to do is help bring blood flow to your brainstem, which is where the vagus nerve originates. Then you're going to slightly side bend to one side and you're going to gently look with your eyes the other direction. And you're going to hold this position for 30 seconds. So if that makes sense, you're side, let's say we're side bending to the right, we're going to look with our eyes to the left. But, so but keeping your head, head, just your eyes, so keeping your head straight, because once again, this is helping to bring blood flow to your brainstem. So you're going to hold that for 30 seconds. <laughs> I'm going back and forth like a TikTok right now. <laughs> yeah. Remember, interlace your fingers, put them behind your head, face your skull. Good. Side bend, just your upper body. There you go. And look with your eyes. The other direction. Yep. Keep your head straight. As straight your as it goes. Just, yep. And then move just your eyes the other direction. Oh, this is hard. Yep. And you're going to hold that for 30 seconds, or you might sigh, swallow, or yawn, which is a good response. That means you're you're creating the relaxation response. I, I feel like I have to swallow pretty often. I don't know if that's the time <laughs> thing, but I got that like five times during doing that. Yeah, well, that's good. And then you would do the other side and that you should feel kind of a, a calmness afterwards. It's a pretty easy one to do during your day if you're sitting at your desk or. So it's a way to turn on that internal Zen mode wherever you want. Yeah. Um, another great one uh, is the trapezius twist, and this can help a lot with posture because it wakes up those trapezius muscles back there. So you're going to hold on to your elbows, interlacing your arms. You're going to rock back and forth, just your upper body at your abdomen level. So rock side to side instead of 
Just your arms. Oh, geez, this is hard. Yep, yeah, there you go. At your abdomen level, you're going to do that five times. Then you're going to do it at your chest level five times. And then above your head five times. I'm not sure if my shoulders are going to put up with this. <laughs> we're trying here. Yep. So especially when we're sitting at desk all day or sitting in the car all day, that's a good one to do at the end of the day or while you're driving or working to kind of better that posture and stimulate that vagus nerve. So, um, but like I said, there's tons of them. Uh, there's ones for the digestive tract as well that she goes over, but those are some of the easier ones to do during your day and some of my favorites. Um, so yeah. What effects can people expect from those exercises and how long would you say it takes to notice those effects? Like if I do them, will I notice benefit right away or will it take a few days? Mm -hmm. or? So you'll, you'll see the benefit right away. Like I said, you, you usually sigh, swallow, or yawn during most of them, which is telling you you're in that relaxation response. And um, But sometimes if you're like super stressed or a lot's going on, try a couple different. Sometimes it takes doing a couple different of them to get you back in that state. Um, even as clinicians, when we're busy all day and you see a lot of patients, I like to do this between patients sometimes to bring myself back because maybe I just worked with a really difficult patient and I have a lot going on in my mind. So doing one of these real quick to see the next one, because another great thing I learned is through this vagus nerve is that you can't be curious and anxious at the same time. So that was really emphasized during my clinical with Ariane, which is really powerful, I think. So when you're anxious, especially when you're a student and you're seeing all these new patients and you're you have 10 million thoughts in your head while you're working with them. And um, you can't fully be present and curious with the patient because you're not in that um, parasympathetic state. So this is really good with, for clinicians to know as well, or even for anyone out there. So when you're feeling anxious, it's good to do some of these things so that you can be present during your day and you can be curious and really work well with your patients. For sure, for sure. It's the kind of thing that you need to keep asking questions and peeling back layers, uh, yeah. kind of like an onion for lack of a better way to put it, because the second that you stop doing that and settle for, okay, I have enough information or okay, that's good enough. That's the second that you lose your effectiveness in my own opinion. Um, yeah. Because as we're talking about these things, right? You know, most people would not consider the role of the vagus nerve and the role of your sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system balance internally in the role of musculoskeletal pain or movement conditions mm -hmm. or that sort of thing. But in reality, I'll paint the picture like this, right? So say you're someone who, I'll, I'll use a gym goer. I'll use myself as an example. How can you do better than that, right? Yeah. <laughs> But say you're someone who's 24 years old and you go to the gym six days a week, right? So you go to the gym, you work out, all is well and good. You know, you're making gains, seeing progress, all that sort of thing. Well, what if instead of sleeping seven and a half hours a night, like you usually do, you start sleeping four hours a night? Mm -hmm. now, that might not impact you at all at first, but over time, if you're not giving your body a chance to rest and recover and come back stronger, right? Because 
you don't actually build muscle while working out. You build muscle after you work out, after your body's recovered and had a chance to repair yeah. the damages that exercise induced. After you've done that is when you recover. So if you don't give your body a chance to recover and rebuild and you're constantly chipping away at the muscle you have, not letting your body add in new Legos, I'll say. I like to compare muscle to Legos in a sense. So if we <laughs> start t- taking away from our Lego tower one by one and we never put a new one in, eventually we're not going to have anything left standing. Yeah. And that lack of sleep could have caused a weakness somewhere. And all of a sudden, we noticed that when we maybe were doing TRX chest flies one day and we hear a really loud snap. And all of a sudden, we just kind of freak out like, what the heck? What just happened? What was going on? And I say that because I think that's an example that everyone can relate to in one way or another, right? We go through life and, you know, we try and be fit and active and healthy as we can. But sometimes life gets crazy, like we mentioned a few times. You might mm-hmm. get a new job, you might change, you know, clinical locations or where you're living or whatever. You might change to a new time zone. Something might happen in your family, your relationship, whatever it is you've got going on. There's pretty much a guarantee that chaos will come about at some point in your life. Yeah. And we have to have a good system in place to get a handle on that and keep ourselves in this state of I'll say balance for lack of a better way to put it, because if we don't and we start losing one Lego every day or two Legos every day and we start chipping away at ourselves before you know it, we're going to end up with something slightly scary happening that gets our attention, you know, straw to break the camel's back. And that's going to lead us to kind of reset and restart that whole cycle. And Mm -hmm. hopefully we don't make the same mistake again. But more often than not, I think most people do make that mistake for whatever reason. I'm not sure. Um, You know, I think that's a multifactorial thing that we won't get into today, (laughs) but it's better to do it right. And when you start to notice things aren't going right, get a handle on these things. And everything I just mentioned from overall muscle function to your overall sleep comes back to this vagus nerve and this sympathetic parasympathetic balance in one way or another. And if my own little story and TED talk that I just went on for lack of a better way to put it, uh, doesn't (laughs) speak volumes to that enough, then I'd say, look at people like Wim Hof. The dude literally ran a marathon barefoot in the Arctic circle. Yeah. Like that is the peak of human performance in my mind. And he did it through, cold exposure through Mm -hmm. breathing techniques and all these different things that optimize the function of your parasympathetic nervous system. So if he can do it, and that means that seems to make me think that it's possible for other people as well. Yeah. And you brought up a lot of great points. And that's why any patient, that's why people who think what patient would benefit from this, everyone because the first thing I work on with with patients is getting them to diaphragmatically breathe. So assessing their breathing, because most people, as we know, breathe up in our neck area. And if just getting them to diaphragmatically breathe will automatically put you in that parasympathetic state, which you need to heal. People don't realize that. If you're in a sympathetic state, no matter how hard you work on that patient, they're not going to fully heal because they aren't in that rest and digest state, they aren't in that healing state. 
So first thing I like to work on is that diaphragmatic breathing, which we also know is beneficial to help stimulate those deep core muscles as well. Get all that going. And then, you know, with any patient, like we said, with the holistic approach is, you know, figuring out what your stress levels are, how you're sleeping, your diet, all those things. So these vagus nerve hacks, if you will, are another tool in that person's toolbox to help decrease their stress in their life so they don't have chronic inflammation and all of these awful things that come with it. So as we know, other things people can do is like meditation, journaling, all of that, but teaching them some of these vagus nerve exercises is just giving them that other tool in the toolbox to help with their healing process. Definitely, for sure. Do you have any other kind of tools or hacks or exercises that you like to give people? Now, those are the main ones I give people because they're simple and easy to do, especially during your day. But like I said, if you check out the YouTube videos, there's a ton of other ones that specifically hit on the like digestive tract and um, things like that. There's so many, but those are the ones I mainly teach people because they are easy to remember and easy to do during the day. Right, right. And I'm curious, too, because I know we have a few physical therapists who listen to the podcast. And <laughs> if you're not a physical therapist, you might be able to skip over the next minute or two. But <laughs> one of the things PTs often ask is billing, because, you know, when it comes to insurance or that sort of thing, mm -hmm. it might be difficult to justify, you know, doing diaphragmatic breathing for you know, lower back pain, for example. So mm -hmm. is there a good way to go about justifying it to insurance or screening for dysfunctional breathing patterns or that sort of thing? Yeah, so that's a good question. Um, I'm not, like I said, the clinic I was at was cash-based, so we didn't have to totally worry about that. But that is a thing I'm thinking about once I start working at my job, because it'll be insurance based, how to go about billing some of these things or justifying it. But I think if you state how these things play a part in their pain or in their, um, the problem that they came in with functionally, how this is contributing to it, I think you should be good to go. So maybe saying, you know, if they're not breathing properly, if they have increased stress, that can cause increased inflammation in the body and um, contribute to things like fatigue, pain, whatever they're feeling. Um, but yeah, that's definitely gonna be something to work on to how to word it um, that the insurance companies will buy into it. But I think if you can justify how it functionally affects them, it should be good, but and it is a challenge. I'm, I'm certainly not an expert in it by any means myself, um, but I think a big battle for people and patients is advocating for them and mm -hmm. helping whoever is paying for their service to recognize that what you're doing for them is going to help treat their current problem and condition and help prevent future conditions yeah. from developing, aka it's going to get them better now and it's going to save money in the long run, hopefully. Mm -hmm. And I think a good way to go about this is on your initial eval, on day one or day zero, whatever it is, ask about breathing yep. and look at how they're breathing. So yes. if you see someone doing a lot of upper chest breathing, it's very common, very easy to pick mm -hmm. out. 
you write it down and you make a note of it. And if you see someone's very chill, relaxed, laid back, you make a note of it too, because guess what? That person might be fine with it, right? Not everyone is an upper chest breather. Not everyone recruits their scaling mm -hmm. muscles to breathe, but some people do. So you look at it and if it's there, you make a note. It takes like five, 10 seconds, maybe at most. And if you write it down, then I would also, I know a lot of people, um, a lot of PTs are obsessed with asking about pain. You know, what's your pain level? What's your pain score? Yeah. You know, zero to 10, what are we at today? And I've mentioned before to people, I haven't asked someone about pain in months at this point, because there's a lot more to it than just their pain level. Mm -hmm. But if you are someone who does ask about a patient's pain, ask about it on day one. And then when your progress note, reval, whatever comes up in, you know, a month or whatever it is, then ask them again, because yeah. I'm willing to bet if you've been doing breathing exercises and helping them stimulate a more sense of balance and calmness in their life, then they're probably going to have a lot lower pain level than yeah. before when they came in. So mm -hmm. I kind of look at that as a way to treat the pain in addition to treating mechanical things, right? So when we think of pain, it can be neurophysiological and mechanical in nature. And mm -hmm. both contribute to pain overall. So you can say this is kind of a way to treat both neurophysiological and mechanical causes of pain. Because maybe they have neck pain because they're using their scalings and upper trap and all that sort of junk to breathe instead of the diaphragm. Now, mm -hmm. that's a little bit of a loaded statement. Everyone uses their diaphragm to breathe, but not everyone gets good abdominal excursion while breathing. Most, mm -hmm. you know. So just keeping that in mind, and I'm, I'm saying that more to just kind of check myself there because I don't want people to take that the wrong way, if that makes sense. Yeah. So definitely, um, first thing, like I said, trying to journal mapping out kind of the, the nervous system, each state, give it a name, write down your triggers, write down the things that help you get into that social engagement stage. And then incorporating some of these vagus nerve hacks throughout your day. These are all just extra tools to have in your toolbox to really, um, if you, let's say, decrease the time of the recovery process. For sure, for sure. I feel like we've talked at length about the vagus nerve and yeah. the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system, Liz. Is there anything else that you want to mention or bring up about that that we haven't discussed already? No, I mean, I do have this little tip, <laughs> if you will, if uh, you want to improve your forward flexion pattern for your deadlift. De deadlifting? I, I yeah. my deadlift. So. This is your, <laughs> your favorite topic. <laughs> so basically, if you hold out a pencil or even use your thumb, arm's length, right? You're staring at it. You bring it towards your nose, keeping your eyes on the pencil or thumb, whatever you're using. And bringing it towards your nose and following with your eyes is actually going to stimulate cranial nerve three and four. And um, yep, so keep it on. Yep, so take a pen or a pencil and move it towards your eyes and away from your eyes. It's kind of like- no, Yep, just, so actually you're gonna slowly move it towards your nose. And then once you get to your nose, you're gonna hold it for five seconds. 
But while you do that, you're going to hum because that's going to stimulate the vagus nerve. Well, this should turn some heads when I'm warming up for deadlifts. Next yeah, time. I know. And uh, this, those cranial nerves that we're stimulating are, are part of the midbrain, which will enhance your flexor tone in your body. So that is, so you can do that. You can, and you can even check it. So you can go down and touch your toe, try to touch your toes, then do this exercise and then go down and touch your toes again. It should improve that flexor pattern. And then you should uh, be able to get down there for your deadlift. So you're saying to try this before you go to the gym and do it for the- <laughs> Yeah, you can, you can just try it, try to touch your toes, see how far you get, then try this exercise. Try to go down and touch your toes again, see how much further you're at. And then to keep that uh, flexor, that increase in your flexor pattern, you can uh, add weight, so deadlift to with it. Interesting. So you mean to tell me that tight hamstrings are the only thing <laughs> yeah. that prevents me from reaching the floor? Yeah, isn't that crazy? <laughs> yeah, I always knew that a few screws loose up top there. You know, I used to say, <laughs> you know, in PT, we can only fix from the neck down, but it actually goes to show that sometimes the problems that you run into from the neck down are actually due to things up higher that we can invent. Yeah. Liz, this has been an amazing episode. Do you have any kind of closing thoughts or closing remarks that you want people to take away from our discussion thus far? Oh, just really, you know, either for clinician or just whoever really focus in on those stress levels, see what states you're in, you know, like I said, journal those, those things um, I talked about. Um, and yeah, just don't forget about the vagus nerve. It's so powerful, so important. It's a, uh, and I can't, I can't wait to learn even more and more about it as I go on. But yeah, it's been really great talking about this. And I hope a lot of people learn a lot from it. For sure, for sure. Liz, where can people find out more about you if they want to connect with you or collaborate on you, that sort of thing? Are you on Instagram or are we still yeah. trying to send you MySpace requests? <laughs> I, fun fact, I actually never had MySpace. Really? Wow. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. Uh, yes, I do have an Instagram. We can uh, link that. I can send you the, you can link it to this video. Is that how it works? Yeah, you can send me your Instagram. <laughs> yeah, Instagram, Facebook, Elizabeth Schultz, so you can find me. Is it um, still on Facebook? I think I feel like it's getting more popular. Oh, it's on the it's on the comeback. Yeah, TikTok. Really? <laughs> don't, follow, don't follow me on TikTok. <laughs> yeah, thank you for having me on again. This has been really fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Brawn Body Health and Fitness Podcast. If you like this episode, please make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform and share this episode with a friend who you think would enjoy hearing it. Additionally, if you want to help support this podcast and keep future episodes going, please check out our links below where you can support us directly or through engaging in any of our affiliate marketing links. Last, please make sure you check us out on social media at Braun Body and leave a five-star review, especially if you're listening on iTunes or Spotify.